we're in Revelation, the things that are. We're at Revelation chapter 1, verse 10. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like the sound of a trumpet. He was in the Spirit. Those filled with the Holy Spirit are elevated in their human spirit by the Spirit of Christ. When he moves on them, when he fills them, when a gift of the Spirit is moving in them, like the gift of prophecy, they are aware something's happening. They are in control. It does not control them. This is what inspiration is. This is what it means when people are inspired, and then they yield to the promptings of the Spirit. Remember, the Spirit said they spoke in tongues as the Spirit gave utterance. So the Spirit gave them the impulse, the desire, the knowledge to speak the foreign language, and they complied. They do not have to comply. They can resist this. Scripture says the Spirit of prophets are subject to the prophet. Therefore, a person who speaks, who moves through prophecy, or gets a word of knowledge or wisdom, he is accountable to the Lord for what he says and how he says it and how he delivers it. Otherwise, the Lord could not hold him accountable if he overwhelmed him. But the Lord inspires. It means he stirs up. He makes it easier. And they are aware that the Spirit's prompting them. So he was in the Spirit either praying or singing or he was worshiping the Lord. And then this happened when he, the Spirit spoke to him. The Spirit showed him something. And he heard it as a loud voice. So in such a state in the Spirit realm, it is made real almost as the natural state. Sometimes people, when they move in that, they don't sometimes are not really aware if they're in a trance, if they're sleeping, or if they're awake. Paul speaks of this happening to him. So the spirit of man sees and hears and receives revelation that is clear to his spirit. Sometimes it's almost to him as if it's a natural event. He's looking at a spiritual event but it's almost as if his natural eyes are seeing this because God is revealing something clear to the spirit of man. Remember, he communicates to the spirit of man. He basically doesn't communicate to the outward senses. The Christian is indwelt by the spirit of Christ and his spirit, and then he works outward. The soul and the body are under the command of the human spirit, not directly under God. Even the spirit of man is not compelled. As we said, he's subject. So God moves, inspires, tells them to do certain things. And when prophets did not comply, they were punished for rebellion. So people that the spirit moves on, he does not overwhelm them. He holds them responsible. He gives them time to judge. As John said, test the spirits and see whether they be of the Lord, for many false prophets and spirits are gone into the world. The devil is a good imitator. He's a good counterfeiter. So people that move in the spirit at times, they have to learn, especially those 
in the prophetic area, they discern. See, that's another gift of the Spirit. They distinguish what Spirit's speaking to them. They distinguish how and what Spirit's speaking through another person. That's why the Apostle Paul said this prophet's those under prophetic inspiration and the gathering of the Christians, two or three could speak. He limited it to that. And he said, let the others judge it. See, it's their right to testify this is from the Lord or this is not. Because even in the early church, before the full scripture and canon was given, they were under a higher sense of the gifts of the Spirit and they had to judge them differently. Now we have the complete word. We can judge what's said. So we can evaluate it and say, well, that's false. And see, the devil imitates. So all prophecy is not from the Lord. Most prophecy is from the devil. It's an imitation. So the gift of distinguishing of spirits gives the one with the prophetic ministry the insight. He can tell and understand if someone's speaking by the Spirit of the Lord or not. And in the gathering of the saints, when this happened, he was to correct it. He was to call the person on the spot if there was error. And so he said, let them speak two or three. He limited that and said, let the others judge, evaluate what is being said and validate to the body this is from the Lord. Christian babes and novices and those not experienced in those things, they cannot properly judge the spirit. The devil can quote scripture. Remember, he quoted scripture when he tested Jesus on the mount. But if you look at the three times he used scripture, he misapplied the scriptures. He didn't quote them wrong. He basically misapplied them. And Jesus was able to distinguish them. And he corrected him. And he answered with the proper word of the Lord. So that's how it goes. So just because someone can quote scripture is no proof that God is speaking in them. So he was in the spirit. He was in this elevated spiritual state. And the Holy Spirit, the spirit of prophecy, the spirit of Jesus, came on him to reveal things. He reveals things in visions, in dreams. In trances, Paul used that in Peter. Voices, we say audible. Angels appeared in dreams and out of dreams. These were manifestations. Often, they were only seen by the one the spirits moved on. Occasionally, the Lord let others hear or see things. And the presence of those people being inspired. So, it's a manifestation to the Christian spirit is what it is. This manifestation is making the spirit realm as natural as the earthly senses of seeing, hearing, and perceiving. So John said he was in the spirit on the Lord's Day, the first of the week, we call Sunday. It is not a replacement for the Sabbath. This is an era of most denominational Christians. Sunday did not replace the Sabbath. The Sabbath was a Jewish holiday. The Christian is not bound to that. And Sunday did not become a Sabbath. This is error also. There was no apostolic instruction in any epistle that commanded those to come together on Sunday. They chose to do this. 
They began this and it became a habit and people just picked up on it. But we are not bound by this. Paul tells us the liberty that we have. The Christian keeps the moral commands of what we call the Ten Commandments. Nine of them have to do with moral duties. They're not to do certain sins, murder, cheat, lie, covetous. And so every one of these carry over into the new covenant. No matter what covenant you're in, you cannot practice those sins. Sins are sins. God will judge you in any covenant. If you're a practicing fornicator or liar, you break the covenant. And yet the one that did not carry over because it was not moral, it was a ritual to be observed, was the Sabbath day. And that was for the Jew. That was in the Jewish covenant. And to a degree, it will be restored during the millennium. But Christians under the new covenant, under the church age, we are not bound to it. Uh, We can observe it if we want to, or we cannot. We can meet on another day. We're not forced. We have liberty in the Lord. No uh, ritual is put on the new covenant Christian other than he must be water baptized when he becomes the Lord. And when he chooses to join and have communion, uh, the conditions, those are the only two. Every other Jewish ritual ceremony, observing of moons and holidays, is not for us. It was under the old Jewish covenant. And even Peter said they couldn't, their fathers couldn't bear all these things. And uh, he agreed with Paul and James agreed. We're not going to put these things on the Christian Gentile. He has liberty. And as we said before, the Jewish Christian observed the law as a witness. They did not observe it because they felt it justified them. Even the Apostle James, who would say the administrator of the Jerusalem church, the bishop, he bragged to Paul and said, oh, we have many priests who came to the Lord. He said, who are zealous of the law. See, they were fulfilling and witnessing to the Jewish people so they did not offend them. As Paul himself said, we become all things to all men. But they understood they were not justified by the law. They were justified by Jesus Christ and his sacrifice. So we have liberty to do and we have liberty not to do. And weaker Christians sometimes put themselves under bondage and babes because their conscience is not clear. And Paul basically said, leave them alone. They don't feel comfortable eating certain meats and foods. If they don't feel comfortable not observing the Sabbath, leave them alone. But he surely felt free, and he told the mature Christian they were not bound by such principles, okay? So the commandment to keep the Sabbath, it carried into the new covenant because it was a perpetual thing. The Christian does not have to observe a day. Every day is the day of the Lord to him. He's entered into the spiritual kingdom. His service and duty is the Sabbath. He is resting in the Lord and ministering for the Lord by the Spirit. Okay? They did not have that in the old Jewish covenant. Hebrews chapter 4, 9 and 10. There remains therefore a rest or a Sabbath for the people of God. For he who has entered his rest or Sabbath has himself ceased from his works 
as God did from his. So when the Christian comes into the new covenant, he's serving the Lord in the newness of spirit. He doesn't serve him once a week on a special day or a special moon or feast. It's a lifestyle. So the Christian lives in a perpetual spiritual Sabbath, but it's not bound to a day. Uh, We can do as we please in the matter. So we live in the spirit. It's called newness of life. Our earthly work from self only is not spiritual. Whatever we do outwardly, if it's not led of the spirit or done in the name of Christ, it has no value. It has no spiritual value. We have peace with God in Christ. We live and work spiritually before God as bond servants. It is not a day or Sabbath we keep. It is a lifestyle. Galatians chapter 4. Let's read 9 and 10. This is Paul speaking. But now after you have known God, or rather have known by him, how is it that you turn again to the weak and beggarly elements? He's speaking of the rules of the law of Moses, the rituals, to which you desire again to be in bondage. You've been freed from, do you want to go and live under the bondage of Judaism? See, that's the question he's asking him. Verse 10, you observe days and months, seasons and years. This included Sabbath and special Sabbaths. And he says, I'm afraid I've labored with you in vain. So he was saying, you've been freed from that. Don't let the Judaizers, don't let misguided Christians pull you in to a system that only can bring you under earthly bondage. See, that's what the apostles warning them. So babes sometimes, as we said, they are bound. Remember the Corinthians and those who came to the Lord, there were many types of what we would call cults and demonic religions, and they couldn't eat this and they couldn't eat that, and they had to do certain things. And it was hard for them to come out of this. And then the Jewish Christian, it was hard for him to stop doing these things. He'd been taught to do this for centuries. And all of a sudden, he didn't have to do it in the Gentile world. As we've said, for 40 years, the apostles and the Jerusalem church kept the Jewish law, went to the temple, went through the outward as a witness to Jews. But it was not for the Gentiles. And after destruction of Jerusalem, we don't hear of this anymore. See, because God was given the Jewish people a 40-year period after they crucified Christ before he brought judgment on their nation. So Paul understood when he wanted to go into Jerusalem and minister, he had his workers like Timothy had to be circumcised. He was only a half Jew. And so to work with Paul, for Paul to bring him into the temple area, he had to be circumcised. Otherwise, the Jews would have stoned him. So he didn't have no problem with this. But he later says, if you're circumcised, you have to keep the whole law. He was saying, if you're doing it for the wrong reason, then you're under bondage of the law, which we have been freed from. So this is what he, why it's important that people grow in the Lord. Then they aren't bound by Sundays. They aren't bound by holidays. And many professing Christians and ignorant Christians, they're as stupid as the converted Jews were. They're foolish. They bring themselves and try to put bondage on other people. 
People try to give me that one, and I tell them, you're ignorant. You need to study scripture until your conscience is enlightened. We're not under any Sabbath keeping, and Sunday is not a Sabbath. See, these are things that crept in, mixed with Roman Catholicism, and when the Protestants broke away, they took some of the garbage with them. And so we still have much of that tradition today. So Jewish Christians in Jerusalem, like we say, they kept the outward ritual. Yet Paul and the apostles, and these were the foundation apostles in Jerusalem, they put no command on Gentile Christians. You can see the liberty that they they felt they had. Remember, Peter exercised liberty when he visited the Gentiles. And then he played the hypocrite when the Jews came from James. He got a little worried and he withdrew and pretended he wasn't fellowshipping with the Gentiles. And Paul reproved him for this. And Paul called him a hypocrite. And it's clear that Peter acknowledged this. See, he was still in that system and it was hard for them to be totally free of it. And so Paul was saying, well, if you're going to eat with the Gentiles, then eat with them. But he pretended he didn't. So, see, he was he was afraid of James. So much for Peter being the Pope. Uh, doesn't speak well there if he was, does it? So we see that this is what the Lord's telling us. In the Spirit, on the Lord's Day, again, many of them observed, gathered on the first day of the week. But there is no command. We have to make the difference between what's permissible and what's a command. Paul gives wisdom that he thinks in certain situations that people should not marry. And other times he says they should marry. He looked at the times and what was going on and said we could accommodate this. He told the young, if you can't control your passions, get married to avoid fornication. Why? Because fornication will send you to hell. At other times, he says, better that you not marry because of the persecution. It'd be harder to have to be worried with other people where you would have to suffer for the kingdom. It was easier to do it for yourself and not have to be worried with your family. So it was whatever the world situation was. But he makes it plain, if you marry, you've not sinned. So he said, even though I'd give you counsel and wise counsel. Then he says, but you'll have trouble in the flesh. He said, I wanted to spare you this. But nevertheless, there's no sin involved. The sin is, if you allow your spouse to rule instead of the Lord, then you've entered into idolatry, and that can cost you your soul. Okay? So he said he heard behind him a loud voice, we would say as loud as a trumpet. It was very noticeable. So he's hearing in the spirit. I doubt if anyone else was near him, whether they heard anything. If they did, it would not have been clear to him. It would not have brought on any understanding. It appears that when Paul was being spoken to, some saw a flash of light, some heard something. But see, again, it was not clear because it was not intended or it was to get them to be quiet. So the Lord was speaking to the prophet then, or the apostle. The Gospel of John, chapter 12, verse 28 to 30. Now, Jesus is praying. 
he has just been preaching to the people and his disciples are around. And he tells them that I've come in to this world to be the sacrifice. And then he says, Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. Therefore, the people who stood by and heard it said it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. It's interesting. See, they didn't hear the same thing, did they? Some people assume that those who were more spiritual may have heard this. The apostles around Jesus, the disciples, they may have heard exactly what the Father said. Because he did say in the next verse, this voice didn't come because of me for your sake. But it appears that most of the people in the area, they heard a noise, a rumbling. And that's all they heard. See, they didn't get the clarity of what Jesus and those closest to him were hearing. So some heard rumbling, some heard thunders, some heard a voice talking. They said a voice of an angel. Clear to Jesus, not so clear to most of the bystanders. Verse 11, now this is what the voice is saying now to John, and he's listening. Write in a book what you see, and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and Smyrna, to Pergamum, to Thyatira, and to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Okay? So the voice spoke and said, write in the book what you see. Our translation of book, theirs was a scroll, a parchment, a roll to write on. So it was not the kind of book that we're thinking of. Okay? To write what you see. The vision John is seeing in the spirit realm while awake. Paul states a few times, remember when he was caught up into heaven, he said, I don't know if I was in the body or out of the body. He didn't know if he was in a trance, if he was in a dream vision or awake. See, it wasn't made clear. He just perceived something supernatural was happening and the body he was not too conscious of what was going on. Same thing happened to Peter. He fell into a trance and began to get a vision and symbols. And he, again, did not perceive whether he was sleeping or awake. So that's the spiritual state at times. It happens that way. So in the translation, he's telling him to write it in a book. The phrase in verse 8, we see then some translators say it shouldn't be there. Some say it is. So when in question, I always leave the word there and don't tamper with it. He repeats the I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. Okay. So he said, write and send to the seven churches. As we've said, there were other churches in Western and full the nation of Turkey today. It was called Asia Minor. And throughout the Roman Empire, you had Antioch was both the largest in population. Rome, Jerusalem, Corinth, Galatia, and such. But they were not the seven churches that Jesus chose to represent what he wanted to get across to all Christians. Okay. Verse 12. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking with me. And as I having turned, I saw seven golden 
lampstands. Okay. Some translations, the more modern, will use a candlestick, but it was not a candlestick. See, that's what we think of. Lampstand had oil. Uh, candles did not. They burnt from wax. So the lamp that they used, even the lampstand and the oil lamps that they carried around, the old-fashioned ones we've seen at the turn of the century, they had glass surrounding them. Those at these times did not. When you walked with the kind you carried, the flame could blow out if you weren't careful. But he said a permanent fixed stand, a large lamp stand, and this is what he's talking about. So we're not to think of candles, okay? So later on, we'll see in verse 20, we won't do it here, but he explains, Jesus does, what the lampstands represent, okay? We move to verse 13. And in the middle of the lampstand, I saw one like the Son of Man, clothed in robes, reaching to his feet, and girded across his chest with a golden sash. Okay. What we're seeing is, we'll get to his head later, but it describes the Son of Man. Some think it should be capitalized because it is referring us to the Son of God and to the Christ, the Messiah, the risen one. And we get the head of this when we go to Daniel after the book of Ezekiel. Daniel chapter 7, verse 13. I was watching in the night vision. Night visions were dreams. And behold, one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. Well, we know who that is. The scripture says uh, he left in the clouds, and the angel said that's how he's going to return, too. And he came to the Ancient of Days. He's speaking when he's in heaven, and the part of the events that we're reading. And they brought him near before him, and he was given dominion and glory and a kingdom to all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away and his kingdom which shall not be destroyed. Well, in the rest of this chapter, the Son of Man's going to say some things that shows that he is this one, okay? The way he was dressed here, he was dressed, as the Jew would understand, as the high priest, the man Jesus Christ, the mediator, now before God the Father. That is his position. That will be his position, his bodily position, till he comes back in the clouds as a king and a judge. Before he left, he was a savior and a prophet, the redeemer, the sacrifice, the teacher. Now he is the mediator, the intercessor. Hebrews elevates his manhood here, see, not his being the son of God, which he is, but he elevates this. Jesus himself used the term son of man of himself more than he did the son of God because it was important we understand he was fulfilling things as the yielded servant, a man, yielded to the Holy Spirit. See, this is what he was doing. He was perfectly used, his ministry, everything he basically did, he did as a servant, a man, yielded to the Holy Spirit. That's why he was baptized with the Holy Spirit. If he was using his divinity, he did not need to have this done. But remember, even Paul says he emptied himself. 
he emptied himself of his divinity or the use of his identity. We said he restrained it. And we see that he could have yielded to it. That was what the devil was trying to get him to do on the mountain, and he wouldn't do it. He was appealing, and it was a great temptation when Jesus was at the point of starving to death. And the devil reminds him, well, if you're the son of God, see these stones around here? They look like bread. Why don't you command them to become bread? And that was real because Jesus could have done it. But to have done it, he would have disobeyed the will of the Father. So we say he was restrained when he emptied himself of his Godhead, the use of it. And so he now, even though he has the full glory and has been restored to him, he is one with the Father and Spirit. He is the Word of God. When he returns bodily, that shall be written on his thigh, the Word of God. He's going to come as God also. And as the intercessor, he represents both. But the emphasis, because he is interceding for the body of Christ and even for the world, is his manhood, the servant, bringing them to the Lord and asking the Lord to do certain things. And he had the right to do this because he was sinless. He was holy, harmless, and undefiled. So he was dressed as the high priest, and that is what his ministry is now. When he returns, he will be as a king and a judge. Okay. Verse 14. So on his head and his hair, they were white like white wool. See, that's what they compared it with, like snow. These would be about the whitest things they could think of. In the Roman world, among Roman society and people in the upper government and Roman leaders and governors, it was important that their garments were white. And they spent a lot of time dyeing them and bleaching them. They wanted them to appear very white. So he's using, again, a comparison. Uh, that was the wool and snow was about as white as they would understand things to be. And his eyes were like a flame of fire. So his head and hair, white, he is transfigured, remember, before the three apostles, and they saw him. They saw him, the scripture said, glowing like lightning, glory and splendor of the Godhead. So he was giving him a glimpse of this, which we'll go to later more fully. His eyes were like a flame of fire. He, as God, as the Word of God, sees all and perceives all. He knows all. His glory of the Godhead restored to him when he ascended to heaven. See, remember before he died, he said, Father, restore to me the glory that I had with you before the world was. See, it was restrained and emptied in him when he took on the human nature. When he became a child and took on and became the seed of Abraham and David. So Jesus was limited. He did not know the time of his return. He did not know certain events because he did not have the knowledge of the Godhead. He knows it now. But he said, even the son of man and the angels do not know when I will return. 
And until his glory was restored to him, he didn't know. See, he had to learn and grow as a young man. He had to learn and grow in wisdom. It was not automatic with him. When the highest being in heaven, the highest of creations, the cherubim, Lucifer, the scripture, when he's being reproved and had been cast down, he said, you were perfect in all your ways. He says, the wisdom was in you the day you were created. This was not so with Jesus. He had to grow as a human. He had to acquire wisdom and knowledge. And then as he yielded to the Holy Spirit, he was given acts of what we would call gifts of the Spirit. He was given wisdom and shown things that he did not know because he did not retain the use of his Godhead. Verse 15, his feet were like burnished bronze when it had been made to glow in a furnace. And his voice was like the sound of many waters. Okay, he's using the term glowing hot metal. They understood at the time that Jesus lived in the Roman world, they made a lot of things out of bronze. And they mixed the copper and the tin. And for certain items, they even would mix gold. But they considered a very stable and the most sound of the metals. That was their understanding. So his feet standing as in a permanent place, permanence and stability is basically what they stand for. Refining. But they have to do with the earth also. See, his feet touch the earth. Says the earth is God's footstool. That's what his feet rest on. So his hair to his feet is glowing, we would say, in splendor or glory, the brightness or the brightest of lights. That's how John saw him. That's how the three apostles saw him when he was transfigured on the mountain. Says his voice sounded like many waters. We think of streams and rivers and waterfalls. So it made a large, loud noise. Ezekiel chapter 43, verse 2. And behold, the glory of God of Israel came from the way of the east. And his voice was like the sound of many waters, and the earth shone with his glory. We get the description of Christ and of the Godhead. See, Ezekiel's speaking in the name of Jehovah, the Old Testament prophets. But we will find out that Jesus was Jehovah, the Father. He was one with the Father. He was part of the Godhead. Isaiah calls him not only the Prince of Peace, he said the everlasting Father, referring to Jesus. And so he's in this position. So what Ezekiel sees in vision, John is seeing now also. There was not much distinction at times between God, the Father, and the Son in these visions. Even later on in the book of Revelation, it speaks of the throne of God. It does not speak of it in the plural. It says the throne of the Father and of the Son. See, we see the Father sometimes sitting on the throne and Jesus standing before him because he's high priest. 
He's an assessor. But as far as power and authority, it's given to him. See, he speaks for God. Therefore, the new covenant after after his appearance to the twelve, remember it was Thomas who said, My Lord and my God, he recognized the divinity of Christ then. He did not before. They were still puzzled about Jesus. Show us the Father. And Jesus said to Philip, How long have I been with you and not known me? Then three apostles saw him transfigured. They saw the glory. See, he was getting a taste of what he had given up temporarily and what was going to be given back to him. And they witnessed this when God did this to Jesus as the faithful servant. He said, the father hears me, he said. God hears me. Why? Because I'm the son of God? No, he tells us why. He said, because I always do those things that please him. Isn't that interesting? The Apostle John in his epistle says that we can have faith and we can know that God hears us because. See, people like to forget the because. They like to say, well, we just use the name of Jesus and have faith. That's not the all of Scripture. John said, we know. That's faith when he says we know. We have what we desire of him because we do, we keep his commandments, and we do those things that please him. That's the only full conditions that God will answer prayer. Therefore, many cannot get the prayers answered because they're not keeping God's commandments properly and they're not pleasing the Lord. So they go through all of these Magic formulas, oh, I've heard of. Well, you gotta plead the blood. I don't know where they get that from. You gotta use Jesus' name properly, Yeshua. So you gotta find out what his Hebrew name was and use that. See, they all think it's magic formulas. It's not. He made it simple. We know that we have the petitions. See, we can come boldly. It means with courage and assurance. It doesn't mean with pride. And know that we receive the answers to prayers that are in his will. Let's go ahead and take a break here.